Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I'm the uh, senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. Uh, I am just now coming back from a two-week vacation. Uh, I was able to visit some family in both uh, South Carolina and in Florida, and so I'm still also recovering from uh, moving all of my belongings into a new house. So we were building a house and that has just been completed. So we are finally getting uh, officially and formally and finally settled uh, in uh, Pennsylvania. And so we have our new home and we're getting everything now organized and all that kind of stuff. So my body is sore and achy uh, from moving all kinds of uh, furniture and things that I had forgotten I had uh, because they were in storage for over a year. So uh, that was fun. Uh, but me and Natalie and uh, a few others were um, uh, helping us move in. And uh, so we got all moved in, and um, now the fun of organizing begins. And uh, but I was uh, so thankful uh, for uh, the vacation, and now it's good to kind of get back to the grind. It is good to uh, chat with you, and so I have uh, a bunch of stuff that I want to cover in today's episode. Uh, this is, a, of course, another edition of Pastor Brad's Corner. Uh, this is volume number seven, so to speak, and uh, I just kind of wanted to give a little bit of a recap on on the vacation that we had, but also just um, some of the things that I've been kind of uh, learning and ruminating on even in those interim weeks. So uh, I haven't written anything in a while. I haven't really posted anything in a while. I wrote one, one blog over the vacation weeks. So I'm kind of getting back into the swing of that, but it's been really good for me to kind of take a step back and just uh, let things kind of uh, make their way in my brain, so to speak. You, you can get to those points where you're just writing so much, studying so much, reading so much that you almost can't uh, take on or output any more information. And so uh, I think I was definitely at one of those sort of junctures. And uh, so that's why I, I honestly say that this vacation um, couldn't have come for 
come at a better time for for me uh, personally, but also just for my whole family too. Uh, we were able to go see uh, Natalie's side of the family in Florida while also seeing my side of the family in South Carolina, and uh, it was it was a great time to uh, be with family. Uh, I was able to preach twice uh, on uh, vacation, so I was still sort of working, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I was able to preach at my dad's church, uh, Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Taylor's, South Carolina, um, and at another church um, in Florida, the church that I I like to say, I said this on Sunday, and I sort of consider it that way, uh, my sending church, so to speak. It's the church that really mentored me and Natalie uh, for a number of years. Uh, it's Jupiter. Uh, it's a church in Jupiter, Florida, Beacon Baptist Church, um, and it's under the pastoring of Dr. Jim Blaylock, and uh, I have just had so many... I have so many uh, incredible memories of worshiping and ministering uh, at that church, and I learned a heck of a lot <laughs> um, from just being involved in that ministry there and being under sort of the tutelage of uh, Pastor Blaylock. Um, and it came at a really important time for me and Natalie, um, both in our marriage, but also in our relationships with God, and as we were sort of making uh, a home for ourselves in Florida. We didn't know it would be, you know, only a few years uh, that we would be in Natalie's home state, and, and then God would call us somewhere else. But uh, I always go back to those years at Beacon Baptist Church, and they were such um, really formative years. And of course, it's always good to preach at my dad's church. But uh, um, so at Colonial, I, I preached uh, a sermon from Psalm 119, which I did a series on through. Um, uh, all of the stanzas of Psalm 119 at Stonington uh, when I first got here. And so I preached uh, one of those sermons uh, just on the subject of, of God's um, word and how applicable it is for every single situation or condition that you might find yourself in. And I think this is something that I want to sort of um, chew on a little bit more, um, even in my own personal life. Uh, my own personal walk with God is just the fact that there's no, absolutely no condition that you can find yourself in that God's word doesn't have uh, have a word for, so to speak. Um, and that is often hard to believe. Um, there are so many times, I think, where we, where, where the the general consensus is the fact that, oh, God's word doesn't doesn't cover this. It doesn't mention this. So obviously, I can't really trust God's word for this particular moment or this particular decision or situation that I find myself in. And I think that that sentiment is, if not explicitly expressed, it's often something that is a sort of under the surface. And so that often leads many to sort of jettison God's word in exchange for sort of popular wisdom or some sort of popular reasoning in how to approach a certain situation or moment in their lives. And I think that's really unfortunate because uh, I think the theme of Psalm 118 is just God's word is always relevant. You will never find uh, a place or a time or a condition or a circumstance where God's word doesn't have something to say to you. And to me, that always it challenges me. Uh, even now, just just think about. It. I'm not going to go into detail. Just think about our present moment as a church and um, as a church uh, universal, but also as a as a country, as a nation. Uh, do you think God's word applies to this moment? <laughs> you sure uh, you you sure bet it does. 
Uh, it has words to say to us in this moment. And unfortunately, sometimes we don't think that it does. And so we apply some other sort of reasoning or wisdom to our moments instead of going to the book of all wisdom that was written by wisdom himself, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, through the Spirit. Um, and I, I'm just moved by this. I was referencing um, some of the, some recent surveys that were taken. One by, was by Ligonier, and another one, this was in my sermon. Um, I was referencing also a survey done by Lifeway Research, of course, which um, both of those have presented some really fascinating data on just uh, the general consensus, generally held beliefs of evangelical Christians. And I was... <laughs> saddened, uh, I would say unsurprised, but also a little bit surprised at the same. Unsurprised just because I know uh, men's hearts and they don't really like being told what to do, especially from a book that is perceived to be ancient myth or some or, or what have you. Uh, but very many people don't really hold the Word of God as in high regard as they used to. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, people way back when had such a high view of the word. Perhaps they did. I think it's always, it's, it's not so cut and dry generationally. But I'll say this, that our our proclivity to uh, remove the word of God in all of these different spheres of life is really an evident factor that we don't like the word of God itself. And that has also seeped into some Christians' hearts and lives, even if they wouldn't admit it. It's just that they don't often take the word of God at face value. They don't use it as sort of the barometer for their own lives. It is something that is just kind of there. It's not something that is guiding, directing, and challenging them on a daily basis. And that also comes from the fact that we aren't really reading the word of God on a daily basis. Um, it's easy for me to say that because I'm in the Word of God as I'm studying it, but how often am, am I in the Word of God for myself, not for trying to get something out of it to preach from or anything like that? How often am, am I in it just to be in it because I love it? Um, that's the heart of a Christian. That's discipleship. That's being a disciple of God. And I, I think that there's a very noticeable uh, downturn in terms of how we regard the Word of God, and you can see that. I'll, I'll, I'll link to those stories uh, that I was referencing um, just about the lack of sort of commitment to the Word of God um, in recent years, and this is by Protestant Christians. This isn't sort of mainline denominations that are saying that the Word of God isn't as uh, sort of important to them. It's Protestant evangelical Christians that go to churches that probably you would be familiar with or be comfortable with, and they are responding to these questions in ways that would, are actually really surprising and really remarkable. And I find that really sad. Um, I find that really unfortunate. And... Um, I think that's why we need to be reminded of just how relevant God's Word is and how important God's Word is. And um, I think that the only way to recover a sort of um, deep appreciation for the Word of God is just to be in the Word of God um, all the time, as much as you can. Uh, make it the book that you live in. I think that's the, isn't that a Spurgeon quote somewhere he, he, where he's like, visit many books but live in the Bible? Um, and I think that's uh, the, the case that we have nowadays is that we are often visiting the Bible and living in um, a, a copious amount of books. You can have a library full 
of modern works by modern authors that uh, sound good, that uh, present some really relevant ideas uh, and, and really applicable uh, principles and, and points and stuff like that. But unless you're living in the Word of God, those other books really don't really do anything for you. And um, I think that's what I was striving to uh, remind folks of in that sermon that I preached at my dad's church, Colonial Hills Baptist Church, um, is just to live in the Word, um, no matter what the moment is, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it what it feels like, um, uh, live in the Word, because that's, that's the Word that is going to be... Um, always there for you. It's, it's never going to change. It's never going to alter. It's never going to uh, change its message. It's always the same message. Um, and then at uh, Beacon, uh, I was able to preach a sermon from Second Kings chapter 5, in which I was talking about the story of Naaman, of course, the leper, and how Naaman's cleansing serves as the remarkable portrait. Um, I, th- I would say one of the premier, premier portraits that is in scripture of what salvation looks like. You have Naaman being told how to uh, cleanse himself, um, and he's being told this uh, by a servant, no less, and all of this is rubbing uh, up against his sort of prestigious and pretentious notions, and he's told that um, in order to cleanse himself of his leprosy, he needs to go to dip into the Jordan seven times, and this just seems, number one, it seems uh, totally preposterous um, to Naaman's ears. It also seems incredibly easy um, and that comes from that that incredibly telling line. I think it's verse 13 of that text where it talks about, or no, it's not verse 13. I think it's verse, um, yeah, I think it's verse 13 where it talks about where the servants actually come to Naaman. They're like, why are you, why are you rebuffing against this command from this prophet? Um, wouldn't you have jumped to do some great thing, they say, essentially? And uh, I think that's, a really good portrait of 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 Christians. We we don't often like the the message of the gospel. Why? Because it's too easy. Uh, the message of the gospel is salvation by Christ alone through faith alone, and um, that's that's it. That's the gospel. Uh, there's of course an untold amount of ramifications and repercussions that come along with the acceptance of the gospel and how we are to respond and and all those sorts of things and we can articulate those at other dates but if you're taking the gospel in and of itself what is it it is this salvation by faith alone through Christ alone we are saved then for a life that is lived to the glory of God alone, and we are told about this message through Scripture alone. And it's we come back to those principles, and again, it sounds too easy. We want something hard to do. We want some law to keep, some principle to make sure that we have lived up to, some something that we can claim, something that we can hold on to as as sort of a merit badge, something that we can hang our hats on. And just like Naaman, we rebuff against the easy thing because we want some great, some great thing to do, some hard thing to accomplish. And that's not even the most interesting aspect of this story because then later on, if you remember from Second Kings chapter five, um, you have so Naaman eventually is convinced by his servants, no less, uh, to go into the Jordan and do just as the prophet Elisha has told him to do, and so he does. And then he goes down into the Jordan, uh, dunks himself seven times, and he comes out clean. And then the remarkable part of the story is the fact that he goes back to the prophet, 
And he tries to buy him off. He tries to pay him. Pay him for the healing that he has received. Pay him for the incredible miracle that he has been allowed to experience. Uh, and isn't that just how we are? I, I see myself in Naaman so, so clearly uh, that I experience salvation. And what do I immediately try to do? I try to pay God back. I try to make sure, God, here, take some of my works. Take some of my righteousness. Take some of my my perceived goodness, my per- pretend holiness. Take some of this so that I can pay you back for the incredible healing that you have allowed me to experience. Um, <laughs> it, it's just so uh, prevalent in the hearts and minds of of. Christians that we want to do this. We want to do the hard thing and we want to be able to pay someone back. We want our works to count for something. We hate the fact that salvation is given to us for free because it tells us that we have, there's nothing that we can do. There's no, uh, there's, there's no, um, sort of uh, merit that we can claim. There's no goodness that we have in and of ourselves. The only good thing that's in us is Jesus. Um, and that's not an easy thing to uh, accept. And yet, that's sort of what Naaman is forced to accept in that passage. And I think that's what, what the gospel teaches us. Uh, there is absolutely nothing you can do uh, other than just accept the message of salvation. You can't work your way into it. You can't accomplish. You can't summit some great uh, uh, mountain of achievements uh, in any sort of sphere of religion or anything that can accomplish salvation for you. Salvation is accomplished by believing in the message of salvation that Jesus has given to us. And it's the message of what? That is the message of salvation through him alone. Uh, he has accomplished it. He has already uh, given you any everything that you need. Uh, for salvation, in and of himself, through his shed blood on the cross, through uh, all of his accomplishments uh, on the cross and the empty tomb. And I think that, um, just like Naaman, we rebuff at the easy thing because we want the hard thing. Um, and th- that's why I love that that sermon. I, I love that passage. I, I would uh, invite you to listen to it. I hope that it encourages you, that it blesses you. It was... Um, it was just a blessing to preach at Beacon. It's always a blessing to go back to those people and and just be reminded of just what a kindred spirit the gospel allows uh, believers to have together. Um, so those are just some recaps on some of the sermons. Um, the, uh, I wanted to just kind of share um, some other thoughts just on this vacation, just because it comes in the middle of the year, it's sort of at this... Um, turning point, so to speak, in the year where we have, of course, uh, been enduring a year of just everything is unprecedented. Everything is uh, as not as it should be, so to speak. Um, needless to say, 2020 has been one of the most eventful years of my life. And I think I've been saying that for like three years in a row. <laughs> um, but I mean, this one definitely takes the cake so far uh, with all of the things that have been going on. Uh, I've been saying to people, there is absolutely zero, uh, zero possibility, uh, chance that I would ever have thought that my first year as a senior pastor would uh, hold uh, and be uh, be comprised of some of the most unprecedented challenges uh, ever. <laughs> not just facing my life, but just uh, not the least of which is just you know trying to uh, pastor a church body through. Uh, a global pandemic. Um, they 
don't really have a class on that in seminary. Uh, <laughs> there's no like um, global pandemic pastoring 101, uh, let alone uh, pastoring your church through you know, another civil rights movement or pastoring your church through just uh, incredible political corruption and upheaval and this, and, uh, and through the incredible amount and of division that's being driven into places everywhere. And I think that's the thing that most, that burdens me the most is that now every single decision uh, that you are forced to make is a decision of sides. What side are you on? What what line? What line are you not going to cross, or, or are you going to cross? And, and we we put everyone on on on, on spectrums, and we have to uh, get into our tribes, and and it's so defeating for me, um, in a lot of ways, just because uh, how I read the gospel and how I read the word of God is that these sorts of divides are eradicated by the gospel itself, um, which I think is why this COVID-19 pandemic has actually afforded many pastors, um, I think, to uh, an incredible opportunity to double down on their grasp of the gospel. And what I mean by that is, do you really believe that this gospel is true? Because if you do, this is your chance to press into that gospel all the more. Or do you believe that there's something that we have to do or there's some other message that we have to proclaim or that we have to propagate from the pulpit? Um, or do you believe what the gospel says, which is what? That this world is held in the hands of a sovereign king and his name is Jesus Christ and that he holds everything in the palms of his hands and he is never going to let anything happen to this world that he has not already ordained or orchestrated or purposed that uh, to happen. And... If you believe that, then this moment is not one, yes, it's one of confusion and frustration, but it's not one of fear, just as uh, Second Timothy says, that, that the, the Word of God has not given us the spirit of fear, but one of sound mind. And I think that in a lot of cases, uh, the sound mind part of that is being thrown out, is being jettisoned, much like the Word of God. It's being jettisoned in favor of some other reasonable thing, some other logical thing. And me, uh, I, I've striven throughout all of this, this, <laughs> this ordeal, there's no other real word for it, this ordeal to double down on the gospel, to say that this is where I'm staking my claim, and no matter what comes my way, that the gospel is the thing that I'm going to, uh, to preach on, to harp on, to propagate, to proclaim. Um, you know, I think there's a tendency that some of these sort of big historical moments. And I think we are living through some big historical moments that will be seen as, I don't know how they're going to be uh, viewed in, you know, in retrospect, so to speak, but we are living in the middle of some, I, I, I do believe that. But I think there's this tendency that pastors especially have that they have to sort of comment uh, on all the big things that are happening uh, as they're happening. And um, I think there's, perhaps some merit to that, perhaps. But I think um, we we are just really bad. I think we're really, really bad as human beings at contextualizing the present. Uh, just as I said, we, we have no under, no idea 
how this moment is going to be perceived in hindsight. And so we are very, very rarely able to to put this this moment in historical context because it's not history to us. It's still the present. Um, and I think that 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 necessitates um, another type of of preaching. Not preaching big moments that are happening to us right now, but preaching the gospel, always, always, always preaching the gospel. Preaching the message of absolution and forgiveness and pardon and peace, coming on the, fa- on, on, on the heels of Jesus' resurrection. Why? Because that's the message that transcends every single historical moment, because that's the, the moment that all of history is built around, that turns to, that is centered on, that is revolved around. Um, this idea that pastors and preachers have to be uh, sort of commentators on the moment, uh, I think, is, a, is, is it's not an abnegation of their duty, but it's also, uh, it is definitely a distraction. Uh, it's definitely something that I think that gets in... And we can be so distracted by trying to comment on the moment that we forget that what our message is in the moment, which is what? Moment by moment faithfulness. Uh, Acceptance that what God says is true, that his word is right, and that his word is good, and that there's nothing that uh, I can say or do that can alter this moment uh, as is a moment in history. It's a moment that God has ordained already from the beginning of time, and I just have to live faithfully in that moment. That's really what the present is for, I think. Um, And to that end, uh, there was a great piece written for Medium uh, this past week or so. Actually, I think it was a couple of weeks ago by Tim Kreider. Uh, Tim Kreider uh, wrote a, an article entitled a Pandemic Commencement, in which uh, Tim gives sort of the graduating class of 2020 a, a collective <clears throat> commencement address um, that they, you know, perhaps never had the opportunity to hear, at least in person, so to speak. And uh, he writes really well to this point about how we are not able to really contextualize the present and so that really means we should just live in the present so to speak and he writes this uh, paragraph which i found very affecting uh so this is tim writing quote we're constantly rewriting the narratives of our lives and the more time and perspective we have hopefully the clearer our understanding becomes to paraphrase a saying our journals are the first rough draft of our personal histories And like breaking news, they're rife with misinformation and more heavily censored than we realize. We're very unreliable interpreters of the present. What we think is happening is, though we may not realize it till years later, not what's really going on at all. We don't know what the present is for, any more than I know what an essay is going to turn out to be when I start writing it. You know, it's hard it's really, really hard, as Tim just says there, uh, to put into proper perspective the uh, events that are going on all around us. Because what we think is going on is maybe not at all what is actually going on. Uh, because we we are not able to uh, understand uh, more than just what's happening now. We are not. We are finite human beings, creatures that have a limited sense of time and space and history. Uh, We are only able to understand uh, perhaps what is right here in front of us. We aren't able to uh, know what the future holds. And that's precisely the point. Uh, God does, though. 
We know the one who has already ordained the future. We know the one who has already written the future, orchestrated it, purposed it to his specific ends. And so we are then unburdened from the onus of trying to contextualize the moment with what? Faith in the present. Uh, this also removes this uh, this horrible tendency I think we are often uh, too given over to, which is this idea of sensationalizing the moment, too. We are often making our present moments uh, sort of uh, so sensational that they are, this is the worst that things have ever been, that, that, that this, is, uh, this is the uh, sensational moment that's going to uh, change everything, so to speak. And we are often um, given over to those things. But uh, I think this, that it is only as we give up sort of the narrative writing grip of our own lives and we let the author and the finisher of our faith write our story, write our history, that's when our lives become what they were created to be. That's when we are shaped and molded and fashioned into the people we are supposed to be. It's when the author and the finisher of our faith writes our story. It's when the author and creator of everything is the one who is filling the pages of our stories. That's when our sort of sensationalized audio bio, autobiographies or hagiographies become a actual biographies of grace. Biographies written with the blood red ink that spills from Golgotha's tree. That's the point of our moments. That's the point of this present moment. Not to try and interpret the present, not to try and contextualize it, not to try to put it into its proper place in history, but to understand that there is one who is better, one who is way, way better than you and I are at writing history. And his name is Creator. His name is God and Father. His name is Jehovah, the one who spoke and worlds were formed. He is the one who is also, yes, writing your story too. He speaks and he fills the pages of our story with grace. Grace that's streaming from his son's side. Uh, this is um, sort of what I have just been really chewing on. Uh, because if we let the circumstances that are around us right now sort of uh, cloud us to override our our thinking, our thoughts, our, our words, our feelings, our emotions, we will become uh, subsumed by the gloom. But it is only as we give up sort of that, that insati insatiable need to write our own stories to control the narrative of our lives, to contextualize everything that's going on. When we give that up and we let the author and finisher of our faith write our stories, that's when we become who we're supposed to be. That's when we realize that everything that we've ever been given is because of grace. And uh, that's the, my good word for you today. I hope that you have found much blessing in this. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to this show, Ministry Minded, on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Uh, those links are in the description and notes for this show. I appreciate you so much. Uh, thank you so much for all of your words of encouragement and support. And just thank you for listening and commenting and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings.